is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. So uh, as they're leaving, Romanian-born Eli Wiesel was a devout Jew before his experience of the, of the Nazi concentration camps. But it was during that time that his faith was destroyed. He survived the Holocaust, both being at Auschwitz and then at uh, Buchenwald, and later became a professor, political activist, Nobel laureate, and prolific writer. But it probably his most famous work was a book he wrote called Night, back in the 1960s. And here's a quote from the book called Night. Why, but why should I bless God? In every fiber I rebelled because he had had thousands of children burned in his pits. Because he kept six crematoriums working night and day on Sunday and on feast days. Because in his great might he had created Auschwitz, Birkenau, Buna, and so many factories of death. How could I say to him, blessed art thou, eternal master of the universe, who chose us from among the races to be tortured day and night to see our fathers and our mothers, our brothers, end in the crematorium? Night, pages 64 and 65. What happened to Ely, or Mr. Wiesel, has happened to many of us, maybe all of us. You know, we've loved God. We've been following after God. We've given God our hearts, and we want to live for Him. And, and yet we have suffered great pain and a lot of hurt, and things haven't gone our way. And at the same time, we've watched wicked people, people who have no regard for God, prosper and live lives of ease and pleasure, and nothing's gone wrong in their lives. And we begin to question our faith. I don't know if all of you read the book by Nick Ripkin, um, The Insanity of God, but many of us did. And in that book, he talks about the systematic killing uh, and butchering of all the Christians in Somalia, how they went from fitting in a church building like ours to fitting on the front row by the time he was finished. He saw his son die on the mission field, and he asked this question, is God insane for asking his people to make sacrifices like that? If you haven't asked yourself this question, I, I want to suggest that if you live long enough, there'll probably be a time in your life where you're going to ask that question, God, why do, why do people who follow God and love God and, and, and offer their, their hearts and lives to God, why do they suffer when people who don't care about you at all seem to have such a great life of ease? Psalm 73 is the story of a godly man who felt like his faith was slipping away because of this very question. Written 3,000 years ago, it could be written today by just about any of us. Now, in the end of this psalm, Asaph is going to keep his faith. But Eli, uh, people like Eli that we talked about at the beginning, they lose theirs. Uh, I'm hoping to help us keep ours to the very end. In fact, that's my goal this morning by, by looking at Psalm 73. I, I, this, this psalm has always been important to me. I, I, I found it or I read it as a young Christian, and it spoke to my heart back then, still does. And so I'm hoping that by our looking at this psalm this morning, that I'll help us keep our faith 
uh, till the end. Now, the superscription in this psalm tells us it's a psalm of Asaph. As you watch the little video up there this morning, you saw that they were 73 written by David, 43 anonymous, and there was a bunch of other writers. Asaph was one of them. Asaph was the worship leader, we know from other places in the Old Testament. Asaph was the worship leader during the time of King David. And I want to make a statement about about Asaph that I don't know for sure, but I think is true just based on this psalm, if nothing else. And that is that Asaph was the real deal. What I mean by that is that Asaph, I believe, loved God, uh, just like David. Remember, David was far from perfect, right? But the Bible says of David that David had a heart for God. And and that was so important to God. I want to suggest to you that Asaph had the same heart for God that David had. Again, not that he was perfect in any way, but he was not like the sons of Eli or the sons of Samuel. If you remember your Old Testament history, uh, the priest Eli and Samuel both had sons that were no-gooders, right? They, they did not love God or follow God or live for God. They, they were just all, they were vocational, but they were just fake, prefect. They were wicked men. But Asaph wasn't one of those, and this is one of his psalms. It opens book three, as we said, and it has two parts to it. The first 14 verses are Asaph wondering why the wicked seem to do so well in the world. You have it open in front of you? Let's read it again, or let's let's read as we go through it. At the beginning, a psalm of Asaph. God is indeed good to Israel, to the pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost slipped, my steps nearly nearly went astray. He opens this poem by affirming something that he believes absolutely in his heart, I, I think anyway, and that is that God is good. And that God is good to Israel. And God is, look at what he says, and God is good to those who are impure in heart. And that's what he believes, and that's what he's always believed. And that's what the Bible teaches us, really, from beginning to end. If we go to the New Testament, we find Paul saying things like this to the Roman Christians. He says that, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. God causes all things to work together for good, he says to those of us that love God. And the Old Testament, Asaph would have been familiar with this constant claim throughout the entire Old Testament that God blesses the pure in heart, that God blesses those who fear him and love him, and he does good to them who follow him, but he punishes the wicked, and he brings about the downfall of the wicked. Here's just a couple of examples, and there's literally, I have lots of them in my notes, but I decided I'm not going to read them for the sake of time. Psalm 31, verse 19 and 20, how great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you have wrought for those who take refuge in in you before the sons of men. You hide them in the secret place of your presence from the conspiracies of men. You keep them secretly in a shelter from the strife of tongues. Psalm 34, verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Isaiah 13, 11, Thus I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. And I will also put an end to the arrogance of the proud and abase the haughtiness of the ruthless. Proverbs eleven twenty one. Assuredly, the evil men, man will not go unpunished, but the descendants of the righteous will be delivered. Asap knew all these verses. And he believed them, all right? He believed that God's going to punish the evildoer and he's going to bless the righteous guy who loves God and follows after God. He's going to do that. Asap believed that. But, uh, but here's what almost makes him stumble. And uh, so I'm going to call this first part the question that tripped up Asap's faith. So look at verse 3. For I envied the arrogant. 
I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have an easy time until they die, and their bodies are well fed. They're not in trouble like others. They're not afflicted like most people. Therefore, pride is their necklace, and violence covers them like a garment. I know I've already read this, but let me read it again. Their eyes bulge out from fatness. The imaginations of their hearts run wild. They mock and they speak maliciously. They arrogantly threaten an oppression. They set their mouths against heaven and their tongues strut across the earth. Therefore, his people turn to them and drink in their overflowing words. The wicked say, how can God know? Does the Most High know everything? Look at them, the wicked. They are always at ease and they increase their wealth. Did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? For I am afflicted all day long and punished every morning. Now I think the key to understanding Asaph's trouble is in verse 3. He says, I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. In part, Asaph is honest and he says, you know, I just, I'm kind of jealous of the fact that the wicked people are prospering and they're having all kinds of pleasure and power in the world so much more than me. And that doesn't make sense, God, based on what you've, what you've told us. So Psalm 30, 73, look at it again. Let me just walk you through it. Look at this picture he paints of the wicked. They have the good life, verse four. Uh, They have it easy until they die. They have all the food. They're well fed. They're healthy, verse 5, not afflicted. They're prideful. Pride is their necklace. Their character, they use violence as a covering. They're overindulgence. They bulge. I love this. Their eyes bulge with fatness. Their imaginations run wild. What he means by that is they just do whatever they want. Their contempt, they mock God's people. Their arrogance, they speak against. Verse 9, they speak against God's people. Their popularity, this is one thing that's hard for me to understand even today. Their popularity, yet God's people turn to them. I mean, they're the wicked, and yet God's people were turning to them. Why? Because they were the powerful and the ones who had pleasure and prosperity. And so the the godly were saying, what can we do to be like you? How can we have? That's what he's saying is happening. Look at their ridicule of God, verse 11. They say, how does God know anything? Verse 12, their good life, always at ease. Their wealth, verse 12, they increase in wealth. They're not only rich, but they keep getting richer. That doesn't make sense, God. You said that the wicked are going to downfall and the righteous are going to be lifted up. This doesn't make any sense because it's not what I see. Health and wealth, the bad guys get the good stuff. We must admit that this portrayal is what we often see in the world, isn't it? It describes in stunning detail a lot of wicked people, a lot of people who have no regard for God whatsoever. But everything that Asap said about, about wicked people back then is true of people today. In verse 7, he says that he speaks of their self-indulgences. Does that not speak of our day today? Everybody's just indulging in whatever they want to do. Even God's people are falling and succumbing to that. These people had disdain for God. There's no experience of guilt whatsoever. And and so all this is going on. And as Asaph looks around, here's the question that stumbled him. I I don't understand, God. You said you're going to raise up the godly and bring down the wicked. But everywhere I see, the wicked are prospering and the godly are not. And he says, it almost caused me to trip. They seem happier and more content, better off, bigger salaries, better health, fewer problems, better life, more friends, better connections, more money in the bank. They're just higher up the ladder, and they just keep getting higher up the ladder than us, God. And and so this is definitely his struggle because he compares that to himself. And look at verse 14, what he says. He says, for I am afflicted all day long. That is Asaph's 
opinion of himself. He looks around and sees the wicked like this, but he says of himself, I'm afflicted all day long and I'm punished every morning. His evaluation was I was suffering every day while they're just having it good. Doesn't make sense, God. And he said, I'm, I feel, he felt like he was being punished. So here's the problem. God is not blessing the righteous and those who fear God and those whose heart is pure towards the Lord. If anything, he seems to be blessing the wicked. They seem to be having all the power and the pleasure and, the, and everything that, that Asaph thought that belonged to the Lord. And so he asked the question in verse 13, which is a logical question. Did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? In other words, God, have I surrendered myself to your will? Have I surrendered myself to, to trust in you, to follow you, to believe in you? Have I, has all this been for naught? Because at the end of the day, you're just going to let the ungodly prosper and the godly are going to suffer? God, have I been doing all this in vain? And that almost tripped him up. And let's be honest. That's what tripped up Eli Wiesel, the Jew in the concentration camps. How, how could God let that happen or how and actually Wiesel if you remember his writings he was like God these are your camps this is your doing obviously from a vantage point that God is controlling everything and the cause behind everything God how, how can you do this and, and so it stumbled up Wiesel till he did not recover have you ever thought like that has that thought ever crossed your mind why do, the, why do the ungodly seem to prosper and the godly don't? I, I can't speak for all of you. Some of you are nodding your heads like this. I tell you, it's definitely, it's definitely passed through my mind. I've served God and loved God and been faithful. God, why hasn't it gone good for me in this area or that area? And as I watch other people, God, why is this person who's loved God, why have they suffered so? Look at the second half. Let's look at the second half of the psalm, the truth that restored Asaph's faith. So we saw the question that stumbled it, but let's look at the truth that restored it. And Asaph is uh, going to tell what keeps him from falling away. In verse 15, he said, If I had decided to say these things aloud, I would have betrayed your people. When I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless. Now, let me say something really quickly here, because I, I want you to understand this. I do not believe that Asaph is saying you should struggle with your doubts alone. He's not saying, boy, if I'd have told anybody about my doubts, I would, have, I would have betrayed your people. So, hey, when you're struggling with doubts, you just keep it to yourself. Don't tell anybody else about your doubts. That is not what Asaph is, is saying. It's not what I think he wants to communicate. It's definitely what I don't believe. It's, I don't believe that's true. I don't believe that you should struggle with your doubts by yourself. In fact, and I'm going to make a statement here. I think all of us who follow Jesus will at times struggle with doubts. We'll at times wonder, man, is this, am I real? Is Jesus really Lord? Is, is what I believe about God, is it really true? Those are, they might be like fiery darts across our mind, but many of us are going, if not all of us are going to struggle with those doubts at time. And I don't want you to struggle with your doubts alone. In fact, young people, I want to say to you, if you're ever struggling with doubts, Will, if you're ever struggling with a doubt, any of you, Jesse, if you're ever struggling with a doubt, don't, don't struggle alone. Don't struggle. That's not, ASAP, when he says, if I had decided to say these things out loud, I would have betrayed your people. He's not saying keep it to yourself. I pray that you will, you'll, ha you'll tell, you'll share your doubts 
so that some of us who are not in the doubting stage right now and who are filled with faith can come along you and pour encouragement and pour faith into what you're struggling with. A good friend of mine was just a boy, and uh, his mom was dying of cancer, and she died of cancer when he was just a little boy. And he went to his pastor, and he said, Pastor, why did my mom die of cancer? And the pastor blew him off and said, that's just not for you to know. That's it. I don't know. I don't remember exactly. It's been a long time since I heard the story. But basically, the pastor just said, you know, there's no answer to that. He blew him off. Hey, don't you worry about it or whatever. Instead of helping this little boy who just lost his mom to cancer, who was loving God and following God, he's got doubts now. Instead of helping him, he just blew him off. And so the little boy walked away from God and didn't return to God until he was an adult. I don't want you to struggle alone. If you ever have doubts, please, I mean, I want to help. I know there's lots of other people that want to help. So if you ever got doubts, let people come alongside you and, and help you. However, having said that, what I think Asaph meant in this case is, if I had taken my position as a worship leader in the temple, and I had brought all my doubts before everybody out there, he said, I, I would have stumbled people. I, I would have caused people to fall. And so I, I don't think he's talking about individually that he doesn't need to seek help or you don't need help. I think he's just saying, hey, be careful of your position when you're struggling with doubts like these. You don't necessarily need to, especially if you're in leadership, you don't need to walk them out in front of everyone. And I tell you, I've, and I've definitely experienced that. I don't want my struggles to be a downfall, to cause someone else to trip up. And that doesn't mean that I need, to, I need to wrestle with my own doubts and issues by myself. It just means I don't need to do it publicly as, as a leader. And I think that's what ASAP was talking about. He realized that... Um, he realized that when he, when he righted his ship out of doubts, right... You know, and he, and he was continuing to sail on. He'd work through his doubts. Maybe in his wake would be a bunch of capsized sailboats that didn't right their boat in, in the past, right? So I think that's what he's talking about. Now notice that Asap in the psalm, he's despairing at this. Did you see that? Look at his words. He, he, he was truly sinking. He said, I was hopeless in trying to figure this out. You see it? Verse 16, when I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless uh, to me. So he was really despairing at what was going on. All right, uh, so let's, let's go on. But then one day it says, then one day he went into the temple of God, into the sanctuary, and God met him there, and he understood. Look at verse 16. When I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless until I entered God's sanctuary, and then I understood their destiny. Indeed, you put them in slippery places. You make them fall into ruin. How suddenly they become a desolation. They come to an end, swept away by terrors. Like one waking from a dream, Lord, when arising, you will despise their image. While in the presence of God, Asap had a, had a vision from God, had a revelation from God. And he said, I understood their destiny. Now I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But in, in that destiny that he understood, he understood that they would fall to their ruin. 
that they would be destroyed in a moment, ESV. They would come to an end, swept away in terror. He says, like waking up from a bad dream, that's how it's going to be for them. God's waking up from the bad dream, and we despise the bad dream that we just had, right? He says, in, there's coming, their destiny is God waking up from a bad dream, and that's what they're going to be like. You know, when I was going over my notes this morning, I remembered a dream. This is not a joke. I remembered a dream I had last night. I don't remember my dreams, but I had a dream, and I remembered it when I was going over my notes, and it was, I despised the dream, and, uh, and it made me think of this. In the dream, someone gave me a terrarium with snakes in it, and they were called people snakes. I mean, this, this is a dream. I don't, know why. I don't remember dreams, but I remember this. They're called people snakes. And in my dream, I figured out why they were called people snakes, because in their profile, the snake's head looked like a person. And I was taught that I could pick up the people snakes. And uh, in this dream, I picked one up, but I couldn't hold him, and he bit me, and I thought I was going to die. And then someone came along and said, oh, no, they won't kill you. That's all I remember about my dream. I, I say that only to say, when I woke up, I despised that dream. I despised that dream. And that's what Asap says, there's coming a day for the wicked, when it'll be like God waking up from a dream, and he will despise them as you despise a dream. Now, but wait a minute. Isn't this the whole problem that God doesn't destroy them? Follow me now. I mean, so he, he has this revelation. Their destiny is destruction. But isn't that the problem? God's not destroying them. They're not falling to ruin. They're not slipping away, uh, falling away. What, what, there's a problem here. Here's what all believers knew up until that point, in that God was going, and this is where I've got so many verses that I'm not going to read, but Psalm 37, 1 through 2, 9 through 11 says, Do not be agitated by evildoers. Do not envy those who do wrong, for they will wither quickly like grass and will, uh, like tender they will wilt like tender green plants. Verse 9, for evildoers, this is Psalm 37, will be destroyed. But those who put their hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked person will be no more. Though you look for him, he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land and will enjoy abundant prosperity. Psalm 37, verse 20, but the wicked will perish. Though the Lord's enemies are like flowers of the field, they'll be consumed and they'll go up and smoke. Psalm 1-4, the wicked will be like chaff and be blown away. 58, 7, 8, they'll be like water that flows away. They'll be like a snail that dissolves. In 68, 2, Psalm 68, 2, the wicked will be like smoke that's blown away. They'll be like wax that melts before a fire. The wicked will perish before God. And on and on and on it goes. And so Asaph and everybody knew that, but they're not seeing that. Everybody understand the problem, right? This is what it says about the wicked. They're going to be destroyed and the righteous are going to be exalted. But that's not what you see happening in the world. And Asap said, man, my feet almost slipped because what I was told is not happening. What I was told that the righteous would flourish and the wicked would be destroyed, it's just the other way around. They're flourishing. We're being destroyed. I'm being afflicted every day. I'm being persecuted every day. God, it doesn't make sense. And his feet almost slipped. But something happened that day, and he got a revelation from God. God showed him something. Psalm 37, and I skipped a lot of verses. They're just verse after verse after verse about what God's going to do to the wicked. Psalm 37, 37 and 8 says, Watch the blameless and observe the upright. For the person of peace will have a future, but transgressors will be all eliminated. The future of the wicked will be destroyed. Asaph's not seeing that. He almost falls away. 
What did Asaph see that day in the temple when God spoke to him? Look at verse 21. He says, when I became embittered and my, and my innermost being was wounded, I was stupid and I didn't understand. I was an unthinking animal towards you. Yet I'm always with you. you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you take me up in glory. Who do I have in heaven but you? I have nothing. I desire nothing on the earth but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. So Asaph's looking back now, okay? He's come through this. Here's where he is. I'm about to fall because I'm slipping, God. The righteous are not flourishing. The wicked are. God, everything you've said is not true. Have I been following you for nothing? That's where where he is. But then when he gets through on this side over here after he's come through, he says, I'm in the temple and I see it. I understand it. I understand their destiny. Now he's come through. And what I just read you is from this perspective over here looking back. And so what I want you to note is he says, when I, when I was where I was, he says a number of things. Notice in the text, he says, I was confused. I was doubtful. My mind was messed up. He says, I was bitter towards you, God. I was hurt. Have you ever been bitter towards God? I know I have. Have you ever been bitter towards God? God didn't do it the way you wanted him to do it. Didn't, didn't do what you were expecting him to do. And you can become bitter towards the Lord. And he says, that's where I was, God. I was bitter. He says, I was hurt. And then he, looking back on it, he says, you know, when I was like that, I was stupid. I was, that, those are his words, not mine. He said, I was stupid. I was doubting. I didn't understand. He said, I'm like, I was like an unthinking animal. I was just responding emotionally to what I, under, what I was observing. I wasn't thinking through it. And then afterwards, he recognizes these things about God. So here's, I want you to listen, follow me. Please don't hang up on me yet. I, I want to tell you some things. So when you're struggling in the future, you'll remember the things that ASAP found out after he got through. So I'm trying to help us. When we're struggling in the future, remember these things that ASAP found out. Here's what he said in verse 23. You didn't leave me. I wasn't ever alone. You were right there with me. You were holding my right hand. He said, you guided me through all of that. When I was in that place of bitterness and uh, not understanding, you were my guide. Verse 24, you guided me with your counsel. He says, you will raise us up in glory. Afterwards, you will take me up in glory. I I think he's talking about you're going to raise me up one day in glory. You alone are our helper, he says in verse 25. Who do I have in heaven but you? You were the one that helped me. He says, you are enough no matter what. He says, man, I didn't realize it at the time, but when I was in the middle of this place over here, God, you were always enough for me. Why why couldn't I see that I didn't, why couldn't I see that no matter how much my suffering was, you were enough. I didn't see it then, but I see it now. You are enough no matter what. And then he says in verse 26, you are my strength. My flesh and my portion may fail, but God, God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. If you're ever over here struggling, please just remember God is your strength. God is the one who's going to help you through all of that. And, and, and you need to take your stuff to him, take your struggles to him. Now, 
I want you to listen to, I want you to listen to Asaph. You're never alone. God knows. Uh, God's enough no matter what you're struggling. But I still haven't answered the question, what happened to Asaph? What did he see in the temple that changed his mind? I hope you're following me because it sounds like he's just saying the same thing. Oh, I saw their destiny, which is why he was stumbling because he'd read about their destiny all along, but it wasn't happening, right? What did he see in the temple? Well, I think what he saw in the temple is in verse 27 and verse 28. Those far from you will certainly perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, God's presence is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge so I can tell about all you do. Let's go back to that verse. I don't remember which verse it was. He says, I went into the, I was about to fall until I went into the temple and then I saw their destiny. I saw their destiny, ASAP says. I, I, I recognize that it's not their immediate destiny. It's not immediately what happens to the wicked, but it is their destiny. He understood what's coming. And in verse 27, he says, those far from you will certainly perish and you will destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, God, your presence is my good. In other words, Asaph saw that in the end, they would perish and be destroyed. But in the end, God would keep his people and he would give them all the things that the scripture promises to them. Now, you're probably saying to yourself, how could Asaph not have known that? I've known that my entire life. You know, that God doesn't recompense the wicked and the righteous immediately in this life. I've known that my, you know what you know? You know things from 3,000 years of history. You know, 3,000 years of Bible teaching that has been taught to you that, that it's not in the immediate moment that God meets out his judgment and his righteousness, but that it's going to be a day of reckoning. You know, it because your entire lifetime, you've probably been taught by pastors and other leaders that that's exactly how God does it, that he meets it out in a coming in the, in the future, not along the way. So for Asaph, listen. I hope you're following this. Maybe I'm making it more dramatic than it is. But it was obviously dramatic for Asaph. I mean, he says, I was about to lose it. I was about to give up. But something happened and I realized their death. I realized that it's not that God's going to do this in the immediate, but that one day God is going to judge and the wicked will be destroyed and God's righteous will inherit life. That's what he saw. By the time we get to the New Testament, we have New Testament writers writing things like this. It is appointed for man once to die. And then the judgment. We have the Lord Jesus Himself telling us things in the New Testament. Let me see. I'm, I'm, I'm off. Of, I'm out of the. I'm out of my. Jesus Himself telling us. Truly, I tell you, an hour is coming, and now is here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in Himself, so also He has granted to the Son to have life in Himself, and He, he granted Him the right to pass judgment because He's the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, because a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come out. And those who have done good things to the resurrection of life, but those who have done wicked things to the resurrection of condemnation. What Asaph understood was that God's judgment isn't immediate, but there is coming a day of judgment. That there is coming a day when the wicked will perish. There is coming a day when the wicked will be destroyed. There is coming a day when the slug 
when the wicked will melt away like the slug, like the grass that's burned up, like the water that flows away. And when will that day be? Jesus said it. It's when he comes again. But you know, it's not just in the... No, I was reading through the Old Testament and I came across this in Isaiah 25. On this mountain, the Lord of armies will prepare for all the peoples a feast of choice meat in the feast with aged wine, prime cuts of choice meat, fine vintage wine. On this mountain, he will swallow up the burial shroud, the shroud over all the peoples, the sheet covering all the nations. When he has swallowed up death once and for all, the Lord God will wipe away the tears of every... This is Old Testament. Will wipe away the tears of every face and remove his people's disgrace from the whole earth. For the Lord has spoken. On that day, it will be said, Look, this is our God. We have waited for him. We've waited for him while the wicked prospered. We've waited for him, and he has saved us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let's rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Isaiah 26, the very next chapter reads, Lord, your hand is lifted up, yet they do not see it. They see your zeal for the people, and they're put to shame. Indeed, fire will devour your enemies. The dead do not live. The deceased do not rise up. Indeed, you have punished and destroyed them. You have wiped them. You've wiped out all memory of them. But then this verse, but your dead God shall live. Their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is a dew of light and the earth will give birth to the dead. By the times of Jesus, it was clear. They were looking for the resurrection. They were looking for this day of judgment when God would raise the dead, the righteous to eternal life, and those who had rejected the Lord to condemnation. Jesus said that not only, not only would uh, that day come, but that he would, be, uh, he would be the initiator of it, if you would, or he'd be the judge of it. In Revelation 20, Then I saw a great white throne, one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence, and no place was found for them. I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. Books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to the works by what is written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead that were in them. The dead, uh, the death and Hades were, gave up the dead that were in them. Each one judged according to his works. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into uh, the lake of fire. Folks, listen, that is the fulfillment of Psalm 37, verse 37. Watch the blameless and observe the upright, for the person of peace will have a future. But transgressors will all be eliminated. The future of the wicked will be destroyed. What Asaph understood that day and what we know is that God doesn't, God doesn't mete out justice immediately in this life. But there is coming a day. So let me give you four closing applications, if you would. Here's the first one. When you doubt, you're not alone. You're not alone in your doubts. And what I mean by that is Christians have doubted for generations. And, and from the beginning, there have been doubts. I, I think the enemy fires darts at us to, to help us doubt or make us doubt. You're not alone in your doubts. So when you're doubting, when you're struggling, don't be afraid to own it. See, seek the help of brothers and sisters. I, I mean, there's one dear friend in this family that has told me, hey, I'm struggling with doubts. And, and so, you know, man, I'm doing my best. I'm praying and I'm encouraging so, so, hey, listen, 
You're not alone in your doubts. You don't need to hide them from others. You can share, hey, I'm struggling. and Let us help and pray for you. Number two, encourage yourselves with, with Asaph's discoveries through his own doubts. And that was that in the midst of his doubting, God never left him. And that God was going to be his teacher. And that God was helping him. And that God was leading him and guiding him. And he wasn't alone. And so when you're in your doubts, just know that. Know that God's not leaving you. In fact, run to God with your doubts. Listen, if God knows all the hairs on our head, then God already knows about your struggles. You're not hiding anything from him. So go and tell him, say, I'm really struggling with my doubts, God. Tell him what's going on in your life. Okay, run to him and encourage yourself with what Asaph found out. Number three, remember this. God will be just. God will be just. God... God is going to, God knows your love for him. God knows of your heart for him. He knows it. He hasn't forgotten it. He hasn't forgotten you. He knows the wicked. He, he understands all of that. And, and praise God, listen, we'd be numbered among the wicked. I mean, we'd be numbered of those whose, whose sin would bring about their death if it wasn't for Jesus Jesus has forgiven us and changed us and he's cleansed us. There's no different than us and the wicked other than then we've come to know Jesus, right? But remember, God's going to be just. God's going to work it out in the end. And even when we don't see justice now, there will be justice in the kingdom to come. How that works out, I don't know. How God can make it all just. You know, we, we try to enact justice today in our political situation and stuff, and we don't know how to do that. It's too complicated, too hard. How, how, do you, how do you go back and fix past justices and things of that nature? I, all we can seem to do, it, in my mind anyway, is to make the future better, to fix what happened in the past. We can't really do that. We can change some of that the best way. My point is this. You know how hard it is politically? You know how hard it is in our country to do that? But here's the deal. Can you imagine God being able to do that for all of us and justice in all the world? But that's what we believe that God will bring about justice for all mankind. And then the final thing that I want you to take away from this is this. Be encouraged with the hope of the coming of the Lord Jesus. I know y'all are probably tired of, of this. I don't know if you are or not. Sometimes I feel like maybe you are because I talk about it so much. But the hope of the resurrection has, has become so center for me. It is the centering of my Christian life that Jesus' return is the fixing of all that's wrong. It's the fixing of this broken heart of mine. Even though he's redeemed me, I still struggle with my sin. And, and I'm looking forward to the day that Jesus comes back because I'm going to get changed. And I'm not going to have that struggle anymore. But, all, but also, all the, all the stuff that we, we see in this world is so bad, Jesus is going to fix it at his return. And all of our loved ones are going to be resurrected back to life. And we're going to live together forever. I mean, I tell you what, folks, listen, the hope of the New Testament believer, just read it. It's there. It's the return of Christ and the, and the, and the institution of his realized kingdom. Michael, Michael said it indirectly this morning. We live in the kingdom. I am part of the kingdom of God now. You are too. We're part of the kingdom of God. We belong to the king. We're in his kingdom now. But there's coming a day when his kingdom's going to be realized in this earth and all things will be made right. And so you know what? We should be encouraged with our hope in the coming of Jesus. And, and as, a, as a corollary to that, you should be praying. 
and seeking and asking God for his return, looking for it, hoping for it, praying for it, saying, Lord, please send Jesus. We long for his coming. When Pritha woke up, the first thing she felt was pain all over her body, her leg, her head, her hand. Slowly her eyes adjusted. A bright light buzzed above her. She had smelt disinfectant. and She was in a hospital. The pain throbbed throughout her body, but the worst pain was coming from her hand. She looked down at it, and it barely looked like a hand. There were deep cuts in four of her fingers and in her palm, and blood was everywhere, and her eyes were swollen up with tears. She could see her daughter Mirai in the bed next to her with her own deep cuts and dark bruises. What happened, she thought, trying to make sense of the situation. And then it started coming back to her, the drunk men, the iron rod, praying for her neighbor. Her son sat with her, and he was crying. I don't know what we're going to do, he told Pritha. The doctors are saying they won't treat you because we're Christians. Where can we go now? Tears streamed down Pritha's face. I'm going to die, she thought. Pritha's a believer in a persecuted land. And that's what she went through just a few months ago. I'm going I'm I'm to link her story in my email tomorrow if you want to read the whole thing. But here's the thing. Everything inside of me cries out, says, God, it shouldn't be like this. Why do evil people prosper? Why do, why do people prosper that can do that to Pritha when Pritha just loves you and wants to follow you and, and she has to endure that? Why, God? Well, Pritha survives this. She survives that. But one day, the wicked will perish. The wicked will perish, and Pritha will prosper. One day, justice will come, and Pritha will live forever in the presence of Jesus and all of us who have loved his appearing. One day, God's going to make it all right for those who loved and have followed Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, I don't know if I've done justice to Psalm 73 or not. Felt better when I was preparing than it did in my delivering it. But Lord, I do pray that you would encourage us this morning when we're struggling with doubts, uh, whether they're doubts induced by this question or I could think of several other questions that, that tend, to, tend to trip us up sometimes. Father, but I thank you that ASAP fought through his his questions and his doubts, and he came out on the other side faithfully committed to you. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters that may be doubting now. Lord, that you would help them through their doubts and come out faithfully stronger on the other side. I pray for those who will doubt in the future. Lord, would you help them at that time? Would you remind them of this psalm? Would you help them remember, Lord, that you're not going to abandon them, that you'll walk right there with them, that you're going to help them, that you want to guide them, and that, Lord, you will instruct them. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, I thank you that though this world is filled with injustices and filled with foes and filled with people who not only have rejected you but who are evil and wicked, Lord, one day you're going to make all of that right and you're going to redeem those who have put their hope in you and, Lord, the world will be different and it'll be changed and right and corrected and the curse removed. And Jesus, you will be here physically, visibly, in person. 
and you will reign and rule over us. And so, Lord, today I ask, I ask on my own behalf, but I'm asking on behalf of all of us, Lord, please send Jesus soon. Lord, we long for your return, Jesus. Please come again. I pray this, Jesus, because we trust in you. And we pray in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Thank you.